Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of the Pacific Century of a Hoover Institution podcast about the Pacific, China, Asia, and the United States. And today we're joined by Misha Oslin, my co host. Misha, say hello to everybody, a fellow at the Hoover Institution. Hello, everybody. And I'm John Yu, a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution and a professor at the University of California at Berkeley. And today we have to say we have been honored with a very special guest. Uh, Misha, why don't you introduce him? Well, thank you, John. Uh, Indeed, we are honored today to have the Foreign Minister of Taiwan, the Republic of China, Joseph Yu, uh, join us. Mr. Foreign Minister, thank you for joining us. Uh, You are absolutely welcome, and I'm delighted to be able to uh, come on your show. Well, I don't think that you actually need much of an introduction, uh, Mr. Foreign Minister. People, you have many friends in Washington, D.C., as you know. Uh, You served in Washington, D.C. as the chief representative uh, of Taiwan to the United States when you headed up TECRO, uh, the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office. Uh, I don't know if many people know that you actually have a Ph.D., however, a Ph.D. in political science from the Ohio State State. University. That's right. I'm a fun guy. (laughs) <laughs> a Buckeye and, and a legitimate academic. Uh, so you don't care about been... anything except whether there's going to be college football this season. That's, <laughs> that's great. That's why we have him on today, actually, is to tell us about the college football scene. Um, of course, the foreign minister was was the secretary general of the National Security Council in Taiwan. He headed up the Mainland Affairs Council, and again, most importantly, right now, representing Taiwan to to the world. So we are, are thrilled to have you, and we know that your time is is limited. And we just want to get right into talking to you about the role of Taiwan globally today. Uh, And let's start with probably the reason that so many people are actually talking about Taiwan, Mr. Foreign Minister, and that is the way that Taiwan has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic that began in Wuhan, China. Can you tell us why was Taiwan so successful in defeating the outbreak? And what are the lessons that the world is taking from how Taiwan responded? Uh, It's a long story, but I'll try to make it as brief as possible on this one. Uh, You know, we we went through a crisis uh, back in 2003 when Taiwan faced SARS, and it hit Taiwan very hard. So the whole country has been preparing for another possible outbreak of a pandemic. Uh, And we restructured our medical system. Uh, We restructured our uh, emergency response system uh, to see a possible uh, onslaught of another pandemic. So at the end of last year, uh, when we saw the news on the internet in China uh, that there were some SARS-like uh, atypical pneumonia symptoms in China, in Wuhan area, uh, our health expert got very nervous about that. So we not only tried to discuss internally, uh, but we also tried to send an email to the Chinese health experts and also send an email to the WHO to asking them, you know, what's going on. Uh, And we did not wait for proper response coming from either uh, the Chinese side or the WHO. We think that we need to take actions right away. So we started doing the onboard checking of the passengers coming back from Wuhan area. 
and we set up our uh, airport screening uh, you know, facilities, and uh, we uh, went on setting up our uh, emergency response uh, system uh, at home. So all these are being created at the time when the rest of the world are not prepared. So we are much better prepared in the, at the uh, early stage. And we also try to handle this case in a very transparent way, as opposed to our big neighbor. Uh, we try to hold press conference almost every day to brief the people uh, what's going on, how many cases, and what kinds of contacts they have, and how uh, the emergency responding team is handling all these cases uh, and their contacts. And because of the transparency, uh, we build the trust uh, in between the command center and the people. So the people trust the government, and the government is telling people what is the right response, what is the wrong response to uh, the emergency. And people understand that wearing face masks is a good protection, and it's also a good way to prevent spreading of the disease. So people started wearing uh, face masks, and people also understand from the command center that another easy way of uh, transmitting the disease will be through contacts. In other words, handshaking uh, is also another route of uh, transmission. So we are encouraged by the command center to wash our hands all the time or to sanitize our hands whenever we enter entering uh, office buildings and etc. So this is another way. And we also have a whole of government approach to deal with this. Uh, when I say whole of the government, I mean the whole government is uh, uh, being commended by the command center to deal with uh, all aspects of uh, this uh, pandemic. You know, for example, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, we have to brief other countries uh, on what's going on in Taiwan, the way we try to uh, deal with those situations. And we also receive information from the international community so that we can organize those information and pass it to the, the command center. And our Ministry of Economic Affairs started the massive production of uh, face masks and other relief materials. And since the manpower is an issue, so our MND, our Ministry of National Defense, is pulling in by sending uh, soldiers to help those uh, production processes. So this is the whole of government approach in dealing with the issue. So uh, in short, you know, uh, we are relatively successful uh, in dealing with the situation, but we have to recognize that the crisis is not over. Uh, we saw the situation in Europe is still uh, not settled, and we saw the situation in the United States is still not settled, and we worry that there might be second wave. So we are yes. still uh, controlling our border uh, to prevent uh, Taiwan from being uh, attacked by the second wave. Yes, can I? I'd like to. Uh, for, you said relatively successful, by the way, and and I think the world thinks you were actually phenomenally successful, and and so you're you shouldn't be so modest about it. And and uh, obviously we are facing second waves in the United States, but there's another element to this that I think is is fascinating. And you uh, you hinted at it when you talked about the production of masks. Of course, N95 masks were actually invented in Taiwan, as I understand, but Taiwan showed itself to be an extraordinarily uh, good international actor by donating enormous amounts of aid to the world. Could you briefly just tell us what Taiwan donated and to whom? Because I think, again, that story needs to be told. 
Well, thank you very much for this question. Uh, we are happy always uh, to help other countries. And I think it's in the hearts of the average Taiwanese people. Uh, give you a small example. Whenever there's an earthquake or flood happening near Taiwan, either in China or in uh, Japan, we always try to reach out to our friends and try to provide assistance. So that is in the nature of the Taiwanese people. We want to help and we want to share. So when we have a sufficient uh, face masks and other materials uh, for our own use. Uh, we have been uh, uh, very careful in the crafting a way to help other countries. Uh, the first is the United States. Uh, and we worked out a uh, agreement with the United States. Uh, the Taiwan provides uh, something like 100,000 face masks, the surgical masks, uh, to the United States per week. That was in an agreement. So we started doing that, and we saw that uh, there are other countries like in Europe or in the South America, it's getting all, you know, more serious. So we are planning for more uh, generous support to all these countries. So uh, we support uh, the United States continuously. It's more than just uh, 100,000 face masks per week. You know, we give additional face masks to the United States, and not only through the federal government, but also to the state government. And so far, you know, we have uh, given the United States uh, more than 10 million face masks already. And uh, we are Amazing. still asking, we are still asking individual states, like, you know, those uh, states that are being hit very hard, uh, Texas or uh, you know, Florida and et cetera. We are asking them to see whether they need additional face masks. And it's the same in Europe. Uh, we saw many countries in Europe uh, hit very hard. So we asked those countries, uh, how much do they need? So we provide them with a face mask. And after all these uh, major distributions in the first wave and second wave, uh, we think that we need to come to help to those countries, even though they may not have uh, diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but they need help anyway. So we started sending uh, face masks to South America, to Africa, and to uh, uh, South Asia. As, so long as, people, as long as people need our help, we will be uh, very happy to help. So, uh, Mr. Foreign Minister, let me uh, ask you about Hong Kong, uh, because yes. there are people in the United States, uh, I, I, I believe people in Taiwan share this concern that while the rest of the world is uh, reeling from the pandemic, that the PRC, the Chinese Communist Party, really CCP, is using this as an opportunity to expand its influence, to take action that the world would not have normally tolerated in a normal time. And so we saw the right, the Chinese government just pass a national security law uh, that it seems to be tightening its grip on Hong Kong. What's your opinion about that? And what should Taiwan and the United States be doing in response? Well, this is an outstanding question, and this is a question not only for Taiwan to deal with, but for the like-minded countries to deal together. Uh, the uh, actions by China is not limited to Hong Kong. You know, if you look at East China Sea, uh, the Japanese—I'm sorry—the Chinese incursion into the uh, disputed area, either through air or through surface, uh, it's very frequent. Uh, the Japanese record is that uh, uh, the Chinese sent ships. 
uh, to Diaoyutai area uh, for something like 80 consecutive days, and it's never been that long. And you can see how much it caused the heartburn of our Japanese friends. And then in the South China Sea, China is also doing something amazing. They set up uh, their bases. They started flying their bombers and uh, aircrafts uh, to those uh, man-made islands, and they sent more ships uh, to patrol the South China Sea. And now they have uh, uh, Shandong aircraft carrier as the uh, main function of patrolling South China Sea. And if you look further west, uh, the border with India is also another contagious uh, area. So if you look at all these areas around China, we sense trouble. And if you look at uh, the problem Taiwan is facing across yeah. the Taiwan Strait, they are sending more aircrafts to the southwest side of Taiwan than ever. And even though we uh, you know, made news releases to the public alerting that the Chinese are encroaching uh, into our ADIZ, but there are many more events where China did not come to our ADIZ. They just uh, patrol in those areas. And I think this is very alarming. And other than that, Hong Kong, of course, is a situation that we have to face. Uh, I often say that the Hong Kong and Taiwan are two outposts of democracies. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, Hong Kong was under China's rule and uh, China was imposing the national security bill on Hong Kong uh, yesterday. And that was very unfortunate uh, because it's not only curbing the freedom and human rights in Hong Kong, but it also has uh, clauses limiting international community or you know, people who are not a Hong Konger uh, mm -hmm. who criticize China may also be penalized by this law. So this is a very serious situation uh, that we face. And, and from our perspective, we want to condemn China for such act, and we want to support Hong Kong people uh, for pursuing their freedom and democracy and human rights. And we want to provide assistance to those people who want to come into Taiwan to find safe havens. And we also want to call on the international community to live up to this situation, to face the situation, and to work together to prevent the situation from getting worse. When you see uh, China breaking its agreement with Great Britain in the original handoff agreement, a handover agreement, does it make you and your colleagues, does it make the Taiwanese people even less reluctant or less or, or more pessimistic about the possibility of working out something with the Communist Party and China because you see what they've done to Hong Kong? Yeah. As you said, Taiwan, Hong Kong are the two outposts. They're the forward bases of democracy. What yeah. what is what's happening in Hong Kong? What does that spell in terms of the future for Taiwan then? Um, you know, we need to look at the long-term trend. Uh, I know Dr. Oslin is uh, coming to Taiwan every once in a while, so we know the situation. Oh, he never takes so with him? Come on. <laughs> it's so good there. And you go out without me. Yeah. <laughs> You're most welcome to come to Taiwan. It's safe. It's safe in Taiwan. It's much safer than the United States. I love Taiwan. Uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, if you look at the long-term trend in, in Taiwan's reaction to the one country, two system model or the situation in Hong Kong, uh, we conduct uh, you know, very systematic public opinion surveys on this issue. And the reaction from the public in Taiwan is always a distrust of 
the one country, two system model. You know, look at the uh, situation in Hong Kong after 1997. Uh, the Chinese government promised all kinds of things that, uh, you know, nothing would change within 50 years. Uh, but they started losing their freedom, press freedom, individual freedom, and now the rule of law, things like that. So, you know, in, in Taiwan, there's already a distrust of the one country, two system model and distrust of the Chinese government way of handling Hong Kong. And indirectly, it's a distrust of what China may promise to Taiwan. So this is a situation. And beginning from last year, uh, uh, the uh, demonstrations in Hong Kong was uh, getting very serious. And it a lot of Taiwanese to show their support for the Hong Kong people. And we saw from the public opinion survey that the distrust of China is at the low point uh, that we can trace. And the distrust of the one country, two system model is also at a very low point. Uh, one particular survey shows that the probably like 90% of the people don't like uh, the uh, one country, two system model and don't believe that it can, it's uh, applicable to uh, Taiwan. So this is a general response to uh, what China may promise to Hong Kong and may promise to Taiwan in the future. So do you, if uh, China were to expand its incursions, become even more aggressive, uh, are you confident that Taiwan can protect or preserve its own independence or... Um, what can the United States do? What would if you could give you know a list of three things to President Trump and say this is what we want you to do? Because I think a lot of Americans and I think the Trump administration probably agree with exactly what you're saying. Um, I think the pandemic has really turned opinion quickly in this mm -hmm. country uh, against mm -hmm. Beijing. What are the three things you want President Trump or the Trump administration to do to help Taiwan in this task of keeping the mainland honest and keeping their mitts off of Taiwan? Well, I'm a diplomat right now, <laughs> for, for the time being. I know, you were and, a professor, which is big trouble. I know, big trouble. I, uh, I know. Uh, but, that's right. And people's uh, perception of a diplomat is that uh, diplomats don't tell truths most of the time. Here's but a better line. I'll try to be very line. honest with you. You can use this. Uh, diplomats are people who are paid to lie for their country. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But I'm, I'm an honest it's person. Kissinger. and I Kissinger. Try to, <laughs> Kissinger. Okay. I, I try to be honest and try to be uh, honest in, the, in, in not only dealing with uh, the international situation, uh, but also try to be honest to our own people, to uh, honest to the colleagues who are uh, willing to work together with me. So this is uh, my take on this uh, important issue of how we can uh, foresee a better relations between Taiwan and the United States. But I need to uh, give a background on the current state of uh, Taiwan-U.S. relations. Uh, you know, after uh, the last few years, you know, we have worked very hard in improving Taiwan-U.S. relations. And the relations are already being uh, very good. You know, if you look at uh, the Taiwan-U.S. relations historically, uh, we are probably at the best state ever. Uh, it's not only me talking about it from my own perspective, because I handled Taiwan-U.S. relations for quite a few years. And it's also the general observers of uh, diplomacy here in Taiwan, even the opposition. 
And it's also the American colleagues who have been working on Taiwan-U.S. relations are also commenting that our relations are at the best state ever. So we want to maintain current very good relations between Taiwan and the United States. And one thing I need to tell you is that it's not a one-way street of goodwill. It's not only the United States continue to provide Taiwan with necessary support, uh, like the uh, military cell. It's also Taiwan making significant contribution to what the United States care a lot about. You know, for example, on the North Korean issues, uh, Taiwan joined the sanction, even though we are not a member of the UN, but we joined the sanction and Anyway, and we took the international sanction one step uh, further by banning all trade with North Korea. And Taiwan is not being affected by international terrorism, but we joined the anti-ISIS coalition and we make contributions. And it's not just the government who's make, uh, making contribution. It's also the NGOs over here as the uh, average people over here that is making contributions to the fight against terrorism. And we are also joining the uh, uh, Religious Freedom Coalition uh, to serve as a model for expanding religious freedom in this part of the world. Uh, and Venezuela, you know, Taiwan has nothing to do with Venezuela. We don't even have an office in Venezuela. But when we see that the Venezuelan people is living in chaos, the economic situation is in, you know, in shambles, uh, we try to provide humanitarian assistance to the Venezuelan people right away. And that's my word to the American uh, officials, American friends. As long as you feel that Taiwan can make a contribution to the international community or on international issues, we will try to help. So that is the way the Taiwan-U.S. relations are getting better and better and better so, uh, in the future. Yes, yes. So Mr. For Mr. I think it's just a perfect point that with with that um, recap of what Taiwan is doing, actually to ask. So first, um, I think many Americans paid attention to the decision to uh, build a semiconductor factory in America, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing um, uh, Corporation. I mean, that's very important. We're very concerned on 5G. Um, more specifically, then, you mentioned uh, that you want to do what's important to America, but what, what, are you, what is your goal for U.S.-Taiwan relations over the next five years? That's very good, and that is exactly what I'm getting in. So the first, sure. you mentioned you mentioned about the economic relations. Uh, Taiwan and the United States are enjoying very good economic relations already, but we think that there's a way to make the relations even closer, and that is an FTA. Uh, we want, you know, Taiwan and the United States face the same strategic economic environment internationally. So we think it's strategically important for the United States and for Taiwan, too. Uh, to have an FTA relations with, you know, with each other, so that there can be more investment going to the United States, like what we see TSMC, and there can be more investment coming from the United States to Taiwan, so that you know we can trade more with each other as well. Uh, and you mentioned about the uh, 5G. Uh, I think this is a situation that we face together, and uh, we need to work with each other. And we also need to uh, try to find a way to prevent the sensitive technology from leaking to uh, a country that is not friendly either to the United States or to Taiwan. In other words, you know, we have to align our uh, production chain or uh, the chain of, of, of this uh, economic supply. Uh, and, and FTA 
will be able to do that. And the second thing I think the United States can uh, help Taiwan further uh, is to sell more weapons to Taiwan. Uh, you know, in, in this part, uh, actually, I don't need to uh, get into more because the United States has been reviewing every request that Taiwan is uh, presented in a very active and speedy way. So we just want this to continue. And the third area that I think the United States can do more for Taiwan is that whenever uh, Taiwan wants to participate in international organizations and when we face difficulty, the United States can serve as a leader among the like-minded countries in leading the charge for Taiwan's application or uh, pursuit of international participation. And again, I, I need to say that the United States has been helping and we want that to continue. And uh, I've been uh, asking about this particular issue of uh, UN General Assembly Resolution 2758. You know, China has been using that to block Taiwan's participation. And we need to look more into this resolution and for the United States to tell the international organizations that this resolution should not apply to Taiwan. And this resolution does not mean that Taiwan is part of China. So all these are what we are uh, looking for. But actually, I need to say again, our relations with the United States has been very good, very strong already. Yeah, I, th I think this is a golden era for Taiwan-U.S. relations. And, and as you know, there are so many here who want to see it deepen and continue. Now, there are other countries, though, as well, that can play big roles. Um, I know we're getting close to the to our, our time limit here, but I'm just wondering if, if you could uh, discuss just a little bit Taiwan's relations with other leading democracies in Asia, such as Japan and India and Australia. You talked about a community of nations. Do you have that community of nations that we can in America can work with? And, and how can you, how can Taiwan and America work together with these other nations? Uh, you mentioned about a very uh, important issue for us to uh, deal with. Um, you know, if the United States, Japan, India, and Australia happens to be quad the uh, four most important countries in the uh, Indo-Pacific strategy. And we try to develop closer ties with all these four countries at the same time, because we think that uh, our in our own Indo-Pacific strategy is perfectly in line with the U.S. strategy, Japan strategy, Australia, and India. So we have been pursuing closer ties with all these countries at the same time. Uh, even though the Japanese friends are a bit more shy, uh, they don't want to uh, talk about the development of the relations between Taiwan and uh, Japan, so I should not be uh, commenting openly uh, on that. But I can tell you, uh, the relations are getting better and better and better as well. Uh, and many people look at uh, Taiwan-Japan relations as at its best state ever as well. And, you know, uh, in my own uh, responsibility, uh, I want to uh, develop a closer, uh, deeper ties between Taiwan and Japan. There's no doubt about that. And I see a lot of hope in this. And our relations with uh, uh, Australia is also getting better. Uh, but we understand that Australia needs to uh, reckon uh, its relations with China. So a lot of things were done in the very quiet way. Uh, but things that could be done uh, was a track two type of dialogue. And it's been uh, well underway. And it's been uh, very successful. And we want to continue 
to pursue that. Uh, and we, the high-level government officials uh, here in Taiwan, also enjoy high-level support from uh, the Australian government. And I think in the hearts of the Taiwanese decision makers or foreign policy makers, Australia is, is at a very high uh, level of, of our concern. And we want to build uh, stronger ties with Australia as well. India is another country that we want to develop closer ties, especially the security ties. Uh, but I think India is uh, a country that wants to, uh, you know, be a little bit more neutral in between the United States and China. So the way uh, we are approaching India is even more sensitive, even more uh, low-key uh, than in working with other countries. Uh, but I certainly see a lot of room for improvement in the relations, either in the economic area or in the cultural exchanges or in educational exchanges, health exchanges, agricultural exchanges. Uh, we have enjoyed tremendous uh, improvement in the last few years, and we want to continue to do that. Yes, uh, I think we're at a point where, as democracies are facing all of these different challenges, the the example of Taiwan for democracies, not just in Asia but around the world, is becoming increasingly important, and it it is long overdue, as we all feel, that uh, mm-hmm. for Taiwan to play a, a much larger role, the role that it that it should be playing and should have been playing for quite a long time. As you know, at Hoover, our, the Hoover Institution at Stanford, we are going to be working a lot more actually on Taiwan. Our colleague Larry Diamond will be heading up a a project that many of us will be involved with. I will be involved with it. But I I think this is a moment where truly Taiwan can be a a shining example of a democracy and a good international actor. So we know that that um, your time is is precious. It's the morning there in Taipei, and we're we're so glad that you started off your day by joining us. Uh, we we don't want to take uh, any more time, uh, but we are are so grateful for you uh, to join us and talk a little bit about Taiwan's role, the way that it's emerging, and we hope uh, that we will have the opportunity, maybe, to do one of these podcasts from Taipei with you in person. Oh, that's that would be wonderful. I would love that. I would oh, love that would that. be thank, great. Yeah, and thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. Uh, and I'd love to uh, do more with you. And uh, we enjoy very good relations with the United States, with academia, academia, with think tanks. So this kind of interaction is is very good. It's not only good for uh, you know the United States. It's also good for Taiwan to be able to understand what is uh, going on in the United States from uh, listening to your. Questions. So thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a perfect way to wrap up. Mr. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, a friend of so many of us here in the United States, thank you for joining the Pacific Century. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.